Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason, a guy who has been to Al-Anon once or twice, and I'm here with... I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And today we are wonderfully joined by the Public Outreach Coordinator for Al-Anon in the Maryland and District of Columbia area, and that is Adalia. Hi, Adalia. Hi, guys. I'm really excited to be here today. Oh, we're we're excited Thank to have you. you. We want to learn so much about Al-Anon and, and hopefully spread the message of what Al-Anon is and does and, and how it can help people that are in the recovery community. Um, and just a, a quick version of, of my introduction to Al-Anon, I had, I want to say, nine or ten years clean at the time, and I had started going to therapy for some other things, and my therapist said, hey, you know, you might benefit from this Al-Anon program. And I was like, I don't have alcoholics in my family. Like, that's not really a thing. I don't, and I, but I went, you know, I was open to suggestions and, uh, oh my God, was she right? There is so much good information in Al-Anon. And, and I learned that like, I don't want to say people who don't have alcoholics in their family might want to go, but there was just so much information about how to deal with other people in society that I was not good at, at dealing with. Um, so I found it to be pretty incredible from my own limited experience and exposure to it. But Adalia, I'd I'd love for you to take over and just tell us kind of some of your story about how you found Al-Anon and what you've gotten out of it. Oh, Jason, boy. You know, I celebrated 35 years on February 4th uh, this wow. week. Wow. Congratulations. I've been in this program since 1987. And wow. I'm one of these people that, you know, I didn't graduate and have never graduated. You know how you graduate and you're gone and moved on. Um, I never thought that I would graduate from this program. And I really, really, I when I talk about how I got into these rooms, I literally tripped into the rooms of Al-Anon because I was in so much pain. I was angry. I was bitter. And I was suicidal, you know, when I got into these rooms. But I didn't know why I was having all these feelings and and, and I got here because I actually went to meet a girlfriend of a friend of mine. He wanted me to meet her. And we went out and had dinner. I was living in New York City at the time. And um, we were sitting there talking. And I mentioned a couple of things to her. And she said to me, well, there's this particular book. Um, <clears throat> and I would like to buy it for you after we have dinner. So we went around the corner after dinner and to the bookstore, the Coliseum on 57th and 7th Avenue in New York City, walked in. She went to the back, got the book, handed it to me and said, read this and you're going to um, 
something's going to happen. Something new is going to happen for you. You're going to realize um, that um, there's more to the life that you're living. And um, I don't know if I can mention the book, but we normally don't mention it in the rooms. Um, the book is Women Who Love Too Much. And I know it was a number one bestseller for a long time, years and years ago, as I said, 35 years ago. And um, when I, I finished reading that book that same night, and at the last page it said, call the Al-Anon family groups if you think you've been affected by the disease of alcoholism. Because the book talked a lot about codependency and all of that. Um, and um, I called the number the next day. And I went to a meeting near where I worked. I worked on Madison and 57th Avenue. So I went to a meeting at the UN on First Avenue. And um, it didn't really call to me because there was a lot of angry people there. Could you imagine? I was angry and bitter. And I thought there was a lot of angry people there. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I left that meeting. And on the way home, I sort of was like very disappointed. But a little voice inside me said, call the number again. So I called the number again. And there was a meeting near where I lived and I lived, I was living at that time in Weehawken, New Jersey, it was just a little path that I used to take the path train into uh, Hoboken and then uh, get to my apartment in Weehawken, New Jersey. And um, there I was, you know, the following Wednesday, I went to that meeting and that was my home group for uh, seven, seven years before I moved to Maryland. And I'm so, so grateful because when I got there, there was these uh, women in the meeting, there were no men, and I don't know if that happened to you, Jason, but there were no men. <laughs> but there was all these elderly women there. And I, I was, what, 36 um, years old. And um, I was like, okay, I'm going to give this a chance. But they opened up their arms to me and they said, come in, honey. We're going to love you until you learn how to love yourself. And man, that was exactly what I needed to hear. I needed to hear those words because I was not loving myself. So that was my first, first experience um, in the rooms. And I have been in the rooms since they, since then, one meeting at a time, one day at a time, um, you know, one service position at a time. It's just been such and such a blessing. It really has. Um, but I want to share with you because you mentioned, you know, you didn't know what Al-Anon uh, was. Your friend sent you there, right, Jensen? It says, Al-Anon is the only worldwide organization that offers a self-help recovery program for families and friends of alcoholics. Whether or not the alcoholic seeks help or even recognizes the existence of a drinking problem. And today we've, we've added other things to that drinking problem situation because I know a lot of families suffer with addicts, you know, living with, with addiction in their homes. And, you know, addiction is addiction. Um, and then it says members give and receive comfort and understanding through a mutual exchange of experience, strength and hope, sharing of similar problems, binds individuals and groups together in a bond that is protected by a policy of anonymity. And mm -hmm. I mean, oh, you know, that's like poetry, right? <laughs> poetry. You, you want to go into a place and, and when you're hurting and, and, and you feel like you, you need something. It's like a, a salve. It's like putting this smooth aloe on your, you know, on your heart and your emotions and, um, and just feelings for the first time in such a long time, feeling better. And that, that's what happened to me when I got, when I first got into the rooms, I just felt, felt better. And I landed in the arms of those women that just loved me until I learned how to love myself one day at a time. Mm. That is beautiful. I, I don't know that uh, 
any piece of literature could have said it as well as the combination of the literature and you sharing your experience along with it. I, I just, you put it so eloquently and I, I, I really love that. I, I'm curious and I, I was going to, I think, ask this later, but you kind of already made a mention. So I, I'll ask it now. Have you seen a shift in Al-Anon since you've been there with Maybe so like if you talk about a 12 step fellowship like Alcoholics Anonymous, I know for a long time there was a hard line stance of like, we don't talk about drugs here. It's not what our purpose is. And, you know, I, I think the AA community has shifted a little to not be so hardcore about that. But I, I don't know that the program itself necessarily has. But you kind of mentioned that that Al-Anon sort of maybe has embraced these other, you know, modes of substances that family members might be using? Is that, is that like an official stance or is that just the community that is welcomed in parents of people who use things other than alcohol? Well, Jason, I am a past delegate. I didn't tell you that. And what that means that I was representing all of um, Maryland and District of Columbia at the worldwide conference of Al-Anon. So I did that for three years. And these discussions are being had at that level. We are continually talking about that because what we have found out throughout the years, and especially I would say within the last 10 years, more so a little bit at a time, it seems to be getting to that place. And because of all this opioids and all these things that have been sort of spread into the communities that we all live in, right? Um, we have gotten to a place where it's about embracing that person that comes into the rooms that is being affected by somebody else's addiction, by somebody else that is going through and has is experiencing something. Because the effects of whether it's an alcoholic or an addict, the effects on the family are still the same. You know, we 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 make them gods in our lives. We get obsessed with them. We try to control whatever it is that they're doing. You know, all of these things happen in alcoholic homes and they're also happen in, in, in addiction homes. So what we've done is we continue having those discussions. We are not, and the discussions continue to be more open and more open to the fact that we have to embrace these situations in the rooms of Al-Anon, that we would never, ever throw anyone away in, out of the rooms of Al-Anon because they're dealing with an addiction versus an alcoholic situation. Our purpose is to, if there's a friend or a relative of someone who is going through these type of experiences of addiction, that we are here, we're open and receptive. And, you know, the, once you get into the rooms of Al-Anon, again, it's keeping the focus on ourselves, right? And what we do and what we bring and how we participate and how we contribute to these type of addictions in our home. Because a lot of times, all of us don't, don't even understand how we're contributing to this situation. You know, we call it the, the, the four C's, you know, we didn't cause it, we can't cure it, we can't control it, but we do contribute to it. And, and the way that we act, our behaviors and our attitudes, you know, if somebody's in our home and we're trying to, we're yelling and screaming at the addict or the alcoholic, these are our behaviors and we have to take responsibility for them. So coming into the rooms of Al-Anon, I know for me, taught me to, um, once I started to focus on myself, 
and knew, I started to understand what paralysis was all about, you know, that I couldn't change these people in my life. I am the daughter of an alcoholic. I am the younger sister of an alcoholic who has passed away. I am the um, older sister of an alcoholic and a drug addict who has passed away from this disease. Okay. I am the aunt of a niece who took her life through this um, addictions. You know, so it, it doesn't, I could tell you that it's all for me been a part of the same thing. And so my voice at these conferences that I attended and continue to be a part of the voice of Al-Anon is to help them in those rooms understand how important it is for us to be inclusive instead of exclusive, you know, mm. and I continue to speak on that. And that is so very beautifully open-minded. If, if for no other reason, uh, one of the challenges I've seen, and this is a little outside the scope of, of Al-Anon, but like, the 12-step community, you know, has this great debate going on about medicated-assisted treatment and if people are clean and this, that, and the other. And what I've seen some people say is, well, there's there's a 12-step program for people who are on these maintenance programs, which is great unless that's not located in your area. And from my experience, you know, we there is a companion program to Narcotics Anonymous called Naranon, which you would say, oh, well, let's just push the people there. But it's nowhere near as widely available as an Al-Anon meeting is. And so it's like, you know, why, I guess, yeah, if we want to get technical and fundamental, sure, they belong in Naranon. But like you said, why can't we just help people that are hurting? Like, and that seems like what I hear in, in your message. And I, I just, I think that's what we all kind of need more of is more of this, please come in and be a part of this and heal instead of like, this is where you belong and that's where you need to go. And mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and I know it's an education thing, you know, mm -hmm. for, for all of us. Um, I've, I've attended AA meetings for many years so that I could learn about it. I um, found myself... Um, actually, when I sponsor women in Al-Anon, I use the big book and I use, I mean, it, it's not conference approved for Al-Anon. I can't read from it or use it in, in the Al-Anon rooms. And I respect that because I love Al-Anon and I want to keep it as pure as possible, right, for those that really need it. But at the same time, I have educated myself because, you know, for me, one of the things that I find out, have found out throughout the years is that and I and when I sponsor women, I tell them, you have to really educate yourself in what it is that you're dealing with. Because if you don't educate yourself, then what happens is we fill ourselves our minds up, you know, it's our thinking, right? That makes it so. So um, we fill our, our minds up with all these these things of what could be the shoulda woulda things that what it you know, could be. So if you educate yourself, you'll be able to be more open and receptive to what it is that you can bring to the party at any given, at a given point. Um, I have never been to an uh, Naranon meeting. Um, I've only heard, you know, stories about it. Um, and, and yes, there's not a whole lot in terms of how the those meetings are sort of organized and i think a lot of it happens because wait in al-anon we just keep things strict 
to Al-Anon literature and the Al-Anon program, and we don't allow outside, you know, readings or anything like that to come into the program. So I think the disadvantages for Naranon is that there's not that same type of organizational value to those type of meetings, you know. Um, uh, but, you know, again, you know, I've also heard that, you know, people sort of benefit from going to Naranon meetings. I, I don't want to downgrade them because I know there's some moms that go to Naranon meetings and they attend Al-Anon meetings too. So having the information and getting all the facts and, doing the research, I think really helps people a lot to understand how all of these things affect, you know, the individual. Absolutely. So if you go to an Al-Anon meeting, if I go to an Al-Anon meeting, uh, you know, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they say that, that alcohol is the problem or, or this individual spiritual condition that leads them to use alcohol the way they do. What does Al-Anon say is the, the like underlying cause of people needing Al-Anon? Like, what are they treating, I guess? Well, you know, <laughs> I use the word control, right? We can't cure it. We didn't cause it. We can't control it. Well, moi is a type A, so I think I have the power to... Um, you know, with my sister's situation, you know, I lost my older sister a couple of years ago at the age of 70 to this disease. She never got into the room. You know, my younger sister at the age of 52. Um, for many, many years, I tried to help them understand what it was that they were doing, how they were doing. And then what was happening to me, what happened to me, I got so obsessed with them. You know, I have a friend of mine who's also been passed away in the program of something else. Um, she used to say, um, how empty am I if I'm so full of you? Hmm. And um, that's what happens to us. You know, we get so full of, of these individuals and think that we can, um, you know, <laughs> change their behavior and change their consciousness and help them get clean and sober. I mean, I... Uh, when we get into the rooms of Al-Anon, what the advantages of being into the rooms of Al-Anon and everything about Al-Anon is spiritual. Lois Wilson said that at the beginning, because when Bill Wilson handed these steps and, and traditions and the concepts, which came later to Al-Anon, you know, he made an agreement with Lois to, you know, talk about the fact that everything about these programs are spiritual and that means to me, spirituality to me is that how I live my life and how I speak align them, I align with each other, right? And so when people come into the rooms of Al-Anon and what I would say, come into the rooms of Al-Anon. So basically you can learn how to take care of yourself and do things for yourself and keep the focus on yourself. So that then you can let go and, you know, have some type of spiritual program in your life. For me, it was letting go and letting God and knowing and understanding that I didn't have the power to change anyone or anything, even though I thought I did. And the other part of that, I thought that I was God <laughs> and that I had all the answers for um, all of the addicts and alcoholics in my life. And I didn't. And all that I was doing and taking on their situation was getting myself sicker. I was more, like I said, I was angry. I was bitter. I was depressed. I was suicidal. And, you know, I was all of these things and I kept trying to take care of them, you know? So 
the bottom line is when people come into the rooms of Al-Anon, we help them step back and start to look at themselves, start to do more self-care, because self-care is very important. And when we keep the focus on ourselves and we start feeding ourselves mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, that things, believe it or not, they not only start changing with us, because we can't give something away that we don't have, right? Mm -hmm. And we're trying to give something to somebody else that we're really void of ourselves. So once we start making those changes in our lives, sometimes, and I'm not saying all the times, we can see how those changes start affecting other people around us too, outside of us. And it's really incredible. I mean, I've seen it over and over again. And, and sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes the situation gets worse. And sometimes the addict or the alcoholic passes away, you know, and we don't have any control over that either, you know. But the bottom line is that we put the focus on where it needs to be and we put the control on where it needs to be on ourselves. And in feeding ourselves, we'll be better able to deal with the situations as they arise because they do arise and life happens, you know, life happens, whether it's through the addicts or the alcoholics, life is always happening. You know, it's, that's a very uh, therapeutic uh, type of view when, when a therapist operates from a systems perspective, you know, they, they talk about the idea that, you know, it's kind of like if you had an assembly line and you put all these ingredients in and you get your product at the end and when you switch one of the ingredients, it changes the final product, right? And that's, you know, very much what you're talking about. When we change one of the inputs in our system, which could be us, changes happen to the whole system. And that doesn't always necessarily reflect what we hope changes, right? We hope we change <clears throat> and then our struggling partner changes for the, the better, so to speak. It's also possible that sometimes we change and then that relationship or system ends and breaks apart. But usually if you change a piece of a system, the system itself will change in some direction or another. It's not going to carry on in the same, you know, routine or, or uh, spiral that it is. Um, so there is a, a list of questions for people that they can ask themselves about their life on the Al-Anon website, and I'm going to post a link to that in these show notes so that people can easily access it. But to kind of go along with that list, what would you say are some like, maybe their personal experiences for you or just things you've seen time and time again that would be good indicators for somebody who's sitting at home and thinking, I wonder if Al-Anon would be good for me. What kind of behaviors would you see in their life that maybe would say, yes, please run to a meeting? Wow. Great question, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did a little bit. I, I have all my stuff here. I mean, I literally have <laughs> tons of books, but um, you know, one of the first things that I always try to, um, to bring to, to mind is, you know, and, and I'm just, just going to drop the word in there is denial, right? Um, being in denial tends to put us in a place of, um, oh, I'm just going to look the other way and all of this is going to go away. Well, that's not how it happens. Right. And I have this this thing that when I sponsor women, I, I, I um, walk them through is because we first have to recognize that something needs to change. 
right? And then we have to become aware of what needs to change. And then once we become aware of that, then we have to accept, accept that something needs to be changed. And I'm using the, the word denial very loosely here, but how do I accept denial in my life? And the only way that I can be able it, to accept denial in my life is to be able to see how I have always lived a life of looking the other way, even though the questions were would pop up in my mind. And then I look the other way and go like, um, yeah, this is too going to pass like everything else. And then once I accept, then I can surrender whatever that situation is. And then we can let go of whatever it is. But, you know, and the understanding of questions that you were talking about and there, there are a lot of wonderful, wonderful, absolutely incredible questions. We have a, by the way, we have a, a welcome newcomers packet too. I don't know if you can uh, put that on your website, which has a lot of things in it. Like the first one, it says, what do you do about the alcoholics drinking? It has uh, some pamphlets it's in here. Is um, so the questions um, that you know we would ask ourselves um, are more like statements. Okay, so what do we ask ourselves? Do we make excuses for the alcoholics drinking? You know, and that goes again with the denial thing. Am I making excuses for the alcoholic? Um, do I try to keep up appearances, making sure the alcoholic or the drag addict looks presentable? Hmm. You know, again, that's me taking control and wanting to making sure that the neighbors don't see what's going on. <laughs> they know what's going on, but, you know, they don't see it. Yeah. Um, am I waking them up in time for work, school or the commitments and or do I call? Here's a good one. Do I call to make excuses when they couldn't make it? You know, do I cover up for them to the neighbors and relatives and friends? Um, do I, am I always making an effort to make sure they eat or get them food because they're not eating? And am I making them stay home to keep out of the sight of other people? Again, trying to hide the secrets, you know? Um, am I the one taking care of all the chores around the house? you know, instead of, and, and paying the bills and doing everything instead of giving them the dignity and the responsibility to do what they need to do for themselves, you know. Oh, here's another good one. Have I tried drinking with them so that they wouldn't get so intoxicated? <laughs> oh my God, could you imagine? I, oh, I gotta raise my hand. <laughs> I, you know, I, and I don't like alcohol. I mean, I'm the one that had a wine spritzer when I used to go hang out with my friends when I was younger. I was the, the designated driver. I would order a wine spritzer because everybody had something to drink, right? And it would be on the table all night for three hours while we were at the club <laughs> dancing, you know? Uh, I, I abused alcohol, really. That's how my friends. So I encourage them to try controlled drinking and then I monitor their efforts. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh, my God. Do I encourage them to drink at home so they wouldn't get into trouble? You know, drink at home. Don't go to the bars, you know. Um, and here's a good one. Do I clean up when they've thrown up or worse? Um, 
and cleaned up so that they wouldn't see it, you know, again and again when they wake up. You know? And these are the types of things that I have to um, continually, you know, when I sponsor women, um, make sure that, you know, with, with repetition, repetition, right? And reminder, reminder, because we have a memory and forgettery. So I have to just keep reminding them, you know, what are you doing? How are you, how are these, are they, these things changing for you? Are you doing things differently? Because if we continue to do the same thing over and over again, we're going to get the same results. So, you know, we have to make changes because if nothing changes, nothing changes. You know? All these little things that throughout the years, I not only use them for myself, believe me, after 35 years, I am still, still using these phrases for myself and living my life with these things because, you know, I'm human. And, you know, I tend to forget and I tend to want to get in there with, you know, I still have nieces and nephews and thank God I don't live with active alcoholism or drug addiction today. So I'm going to flip that coin and say, in Al-Anon, we learn not to suffer because of the actions or reactions of other people. Not to suffer. And that's one of the, the, the key word here is suffer, right? Because we come in here thinking of that we're the victims. We are the victims of these alcoholics and drug addicts. We're not victims, you know, but we're suffering and we're going through the pain of it all. So we learn not to suffer. We learn not to allow ourselves to be used or abused in the interest of another's recovery. This happens a lot, a lot, where the other person is angry at themselves or frustrated at themselves and they're taking it out on us, you know. So, and we allow it. We allow it to happen. So we learn not to allow ourselves to be used or abused. We learn not to do for others what they should do for themselves. How important is that? It's important for us and for them, as I said, you know, we take away their dignity. I know I did that for a long time, take other people's dignity away. And, you know, who wants to do that? So giving them, giving them the opportunity to do what they can for themselves. Um, and, and, and I know it's hard. It's hard. It's not easy. I'm not talking from place of, you know, these things happen overnight. They don't. It's not easy. We learn not to manipulate situations so others will eat, go to bed, get up, pay bills, you know. Oh, manipulation. Mothering. We call them three M's. I can't remember the other one. Mothering, manipulation. And I'll think of the other one later. <laughs> There's so much in this head. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we do that. We do that so easy because it's naturally, right? For us, Al-Anons, we're here to take care of other people, you know, to help others. And um, you know, we use the word selfish in, in our program, but selfish is not a bad thing, being selfish with ourselves. Um, I, I always thought that being selfish meant, you know, was a bad word because I was, you know, brought into the world to take care of other people but learning in the recovery rooms that I can be selfish and I can say no and I can at the same time be loving you know say what I mean mean what I say you know those types of things and you know again it's not it's not a bad thing it's just me learning how to do things differently 
changing things. I learned not to cover up for another's mistakes or misdeeds. I learned not to create a crisis. Oh my God. I don't know. I mean, there's a line in the big book. This is one of my favorite lines from the big book. It says, hereafter in the drama of life, he is our director. He is the father and we are his children. And my favorite was hereafter in the drama of life. Oh my God. I don't know if you can tell, but I am a little drama queen. <laughs> and, um, oh God, so much drama. You know, crisis after crisis after crisis. And I didn't know that I was, in many cases, creating more crisis on top of the crisis that was there. Mm. And that was... Oh, God, take a deep breath thinking about that. And again, not to prevent the crisis if it is in the natural course of the events, you know. And I, I wanted to put that cushion underneath everything and take care of all my loved ones. Um, but, you know, I, I, again, you know, all these people are gone. And I, I, I could not have changed their trajectory in their lives. They made choices. For themselves as I too made choices in my life um, and um, you know it still saddens me a lot but um, you know it, it turned out the way that it's turned out mm. um, I love my sisters but they made choices for themselves and I miss them every day um, because we did have a lot of wonderful times together. But, you know, the alcoholism and the drug addiction took them. And, uh, but that's for their choices. This is probably a, a, a difficult question to answer. But based on your experience of people you've seen around your, your, the rooms or, or the program, do people who lose their their qualifying partner or or member do they tend to stay in the Al-Anon program afterwards or is there a tendency that they don't need it anymore okay so here's another part of my story so how I got to Maryland I moved to Maryland because I met a man um at a at a church retreat and we, we found out that we had a lot of stuff in common. And um, so we got married. He was in AA and I was in Al-Anon and we met at a church retreat in Pennsylvania, in Allentown, Pennsylvania. So I commuted back and forth for six years. Eventually I moved down here to Maryland. He was very active in AA. Um, he was short of, he, he died in February and in July, February 2004 and July 2004, he would have been in the program 20 years. And um, when he passed away, and we, like I said, we were both very active. I was very active in Al-Anon, he was very active in AA. And when he passed away, um, you know, this program, and I made one phone call from the hospital. And before, within minutes, I could tell you, between 10 and 15 minutes, the emergency room at Howard County was filled with AA people and Al-Anon people. 
I was in the middle of the night. And uh, it was unexpected. He dies 12 days after a knee replacement from a blood clot bursting in his brain. He was clean and, you know, he was going to meetings and doing a lot of, like I said, service work. So what do I do after this, right? For two weeks, these people carried me and held me and loved me. All my house was a revolving door, Al-Anon people, AA people, food. I mean, it was just, I can't begin to tell you what. I was being carried because I was numb, right? And um, so the question is always asked of me, you know, why do you keep coming back to meetings? You don't live with active alcoholism. And well, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. And as I mentioned, I have had all this alcoholism in life. So I'm going to keep coming back. I'm a lifer. Um, I have a little a tattoo in my hand with the Al-Anon symbol on it. Mm. Um, so I'm a lifer, you know, in the rooms. But getting back to your question, that was my story. And I will continue to, because I, I can never give to Al-Anon what it's given to me, right? Mm. So... In the rooms, I do see situations where people have lost their qualifiers and they stop coming to the meetings for a small period of time. Because then what happens is I'll go to a meeting and that person walks in. And then they have realized after some period of time that what's in these rooms is a way of life. It's a way of life for them no matter what experience they've had with the qualifier that they found out that at their jobs and with other relatives in their lives and just family situations that they need these rooms. So yes, they might leave, but eventually they do come back and come full circle back into the rooms of Al-Anon and realizing, and that happens more often than not, where they realize that, that they really should have stayed. You know, and it could be a year, it could be two years, it could be three years because we still have our hands open, you know, when they trip in and we welcome them back in and let them know they were going to love them and no matter what, you know. But I believe that this program has so many elements to it where people can come from, you know, different walks of life where they're suffering from depression, from grieving. Oh, Going back to that situation about grieving, you know, um, we don't, we not only just grieve our qualifiers, we grieve so many things in life and learning how to walk through grief um, and having the tools of Al-Anon is so helpful for so many people. This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. And now let's talk a little bit about what's been going on the last over two years, right? 
where we have been secluded and isolated in the room, in our, in our homes, you know, getting into onto an Al-Anon meeting opens up new doors and possibilities for us to not only explore more about ourselves, because I know I've been broken open in a different way, but for people to start doing things for themselves, even to log on to an Al-Anon meeting and, um, and listen, sacredly listen um, to what's there. And it might work, you know, for we, we ask people to come to at least six meetings and, you know, if it's not for them, it's not for them. But at the same time, we might hear something that will help us with our grief, with our isolation, um, with whatever it is. And so, again, I will go back and, and, and reiterate to the fact that there is so many things that are bubbling up for so many people right now. And if they need some type of support um, of love, of just someone listening and of course it's not i'm not asking people to just come and verbally start throwing verbal stuff into the meetings because we do have some restrictions at the meetings where we ask people to strictly stay to recovery right or speak on recovery and what's going on there um that's important but i think the sacred listening aspects of it helps a lot too a uh, question along the same lines uh, a little bit. I would imagine most people that walk into their Al-Anon meeting for the first time are probably currently struggling with an active uh, alcohol user in their life. How many people, or or maybe I should even ask, are people welcome? Because I know there is, you know, you, you refer to a, an adult child of an alcoholic. There's a whole separate program now for that. But are people welcome who maybe don't have a current qualifier in their life, but are feeling like the lasting effects of being raised in a home with an alcoholic? Of course. And you know what? That's a really good question. And I'll tell you why, because I have found out in the rooms, too, what happens is a lot of people um, will come to, into the rooms and because of, like you, Jason, a, a therapist sent them into the rooms and, and here's the, the marriage, codependency and, right, living with addiction and alcoholism. I remember going to CODA years ago, right? And uh, because I had codependency issues where I always felt like the other person was more important than me. So I was taking care of them more than I was taking care of myself. So what happens in the rooms and when people get sent to the rooms for whatever they're going through, uh, issues that might come from them growing up in an alcoholic home or not growing up in an alcoholic home um, that the therapist said, why don't you go to a couple of Al-Anon meetings and check it out? When once they're in there, they realize that maybe they did not have alcoholic parents, but maybe the parents grew up with an alcohol. Maybe they did have a great grandmother or grandfather who had alcoholism in their lives or something, you know, the, the lineage of the, the line goes so deep, right? Sometime that, um, that we don't know exactly when we're in the rooms, uh, why we're there. But as we keep coming back and we're sitting there, we start to linking things, we start to link things together and see 
how somehow we have been affected. Because one of the other things that I found out in the rooms is that while somebody might have not grown up in an alcoholic home, they grew up with a parent or a sibling that had mental illness. When you start lining those things up, you start seeing all the things that correlate, you know, with growing up in those type of homes and how those situations made us crazy. We talk about the elephant in the room, right? There's an elephant in the room and nobody wants to talk about it. The denial, you know, going around the elephant, walking around the elephant is happening. It's the same thing happens when you're talking about mental illness. Is that big elephant in the room. And I believe, this is my belief, again, somebody might miss in Al-Anon might listen to this podcast and go like, what is she, you know, I believe that, you know, mental illness plays a big role in, in alcoholism and, you know, people being in Al-Anon and having issues because, you know, my father, my father was a World War, World War II veteran, you know, and he had PTSD. He was very abusive with my mom and he was very abusive to us when he drank. Um, but I believe that his situation had a lot to do with that mental illness for him and his, his siblings. His siblings all died of this. Well, a bulk of them died of this disease, not all of them. But, you know, um, learning about the whatever you need to learn about in the rooms, at least is the start for people to begin feeling out what it is that they need to do. Um, and again, you know, coming to the rooms, listening and seeing what works for you. And then maybe one day it, there's, it, you start sharing and start seeing um, how and what has affected you in the way that it's affected you. And you could see the correlation and why you really belong in the rooms of Al-Anon. Mm, and, and I'm so glad you said that because that really speaks a lot to my experience. I was sent there. I was like, I don't get it. Who's who do I talk about as being the person for why I'm here? And, you know, my father, there wasn't a ton of alcohol in my home. My father drank very occasionally. It wasn't a thing for him, but he struggled deeply with depression. And, you know, as I learned later in my life, like it, his behaviors were very much what we would call the the dry drunks behaviors, right? He was mm -hmm. angry. He was miserable. And, and these mental health challenges like you're talking about really make people struggle to connect. And so they're very detached. And, you know, there's some aspect of that relationship that left me wanting and thinking I wasn't enough to, to connect to and all these factors and like learning in that Al-Anon process of like, wow, I feel the same exact way affected as all these other people in this room. And I can relate so much when they share. Um, so it, it was a little struggle to get past that. I don't have an alcoholic part and that feeling, right? Cause I wanted to be a part of, but man, yeah, if you feel that way, please go to a meeting and give yourself a chance because there's such beautiful information in, in this program. And if you stay open-minded, hmm. you know, if you stay open, because if you, if you don't walk in there and go like, oh, this is, this is not for me. These people are, you know, <laughs> crazy. They're just like, you know, but, uh, you know, <laughs> the other thing is I, I always laugh about this because in, in AA, they always think that in Al-Anon, where where they're talking about them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a little ego trip, right? But uh, 
No, we're not in there talking about any any of them. You know, we're we're in the rooms really trying to work on ourselves and doing the best we can to um, bring some type of reality to what it is that's going on in our lives and 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 what we can do to make the situation better for ourselves and all those around us who are suffering. Mm. And I think back to my sort of, I'll say introduction to Al-Anon was from my mom. When I was in my addiction, she went to some Al-Anon meetings, you know, to try to get support and her, what she had came back and said was, well, I don't think that's for me because you're an adult and you don't even live at home with me. And I think her expectation was that they were going to somehow teach her how to deal with me. And that, from my understanding and, and what you've kind of explained, is that's not the process. The process is that you come in and use these 12 steps and get a sponsor and work on yourself and the yeah. addict or the alcoholic needs to be their own person, but that you come in and make the changes in yourself to become a healthier version of you, as you described it as a self-help program. Um, Billy, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that because um, a couple of things happen too for people that come, especially uh, women, you know, and I'm not saying, I mean, we have a, we have a lot of men in, in recovery right now and they are amazing being mm -hmm. there in the rooms um, with uh, with men, I, I love it. I love, you know, to be in those meetings um, and, and meetings with dual members, you know, um, that helps a lot too, because we get different perspectives. But, you know, I had a friend of mine who was um, in recovery and uh, she stopped coming to meetings and uh, who I love dearly. And she um, said to me, I, I stopped coming to meetings because I felt like the women in there were telling me to leave my husband and I'm not ready to leave my husband. And I was like, who said that to you? And um, she said, well, I can't pinpoint anybody saying it. I said, well, only because I, I, I would have wanted to approach that person. Um, you know, in this area, a lot of people, and I would not have done it in a bad way. I mean, in this area, uh, because of the service work that I do, a lot of people know me and, you know, um, they'll call me to, ask me you know things but so I do the same thing I'll call them and ask them how they're doing and you know talk about different things and she's like well I just got the feeling you know that people were telling me that and I said no 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 we would never ever do that you know tell somebody to leave their spouse you know one of the things I, and I always get asked that question when women when I women that I sponsor they'll say should I leave him and I was like honey I cannot tell you to leave your husband or your you know, throw your qualifier out in the street. You will know every fiber cell and tissue of your being will know exactly when you need to do and take a step to handle that situation. I'm, I'm here to sponsor you through these 12 steps, you know, um, help you learn more about Al-Anon and how you can contribute and be more of service. I'm not here to tell you, you know, how to leave your spouse. I'm not here to tell you how to make your alcoholic better. Okay, because that is, Billy, to your point, a lot of people, and they admit to that, you know, after a couple of meetings, they say like, hey, you know what, I've been to three meetings already, and you guys are not really helping me. I'm here to <laughs> get, you know, like the answer to how do I go home and get this situation cleared up, you know? Um, and we're like, uh, keep coming back. That's all we say. <laughs> you know, keep coming back. <laughs> because... Um, 
it, it, until that shift, that mental shift happens for that person, when they start realizing, no, we, we, you know, <laughs> we can't tell you how to do, you know, take care of this alcoholic or drug addict, you know, we just can't do that. Um, and we don't have the answers. And believe me, after all these years, I still don't have the answers. The only thing that I could do is speak from my own experience, strength and hope and how this program has helped me, you know, be in a place that I am today. You know, I'm in a place of having peace and serenity in my life. Um, I, I still need this program and I'll tell you very quickly why. Um, I have, I had hip surgery on January 17th. <laughs> so I thought this is, this is me that as soon as I woke up from recovery, I was going to jump off the table, start dancing and singing and going like, Ooh, I got a hip. I got a hip. I got a new hip. Yay. 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 Well, that's not how this happens. You know, it's a recovery process. It's a one day at a time process. It's, you know, your body healing and showing you how to slowly take care of yourself, you know, because, but what I did do, here's what I did. I got home. They keep you overnight. So on the, the, the next day when I got home, I had my husband now who I'm married to, who is, uh, he's in Al-Anon too. And he's the salt of the earth. And I love my guy. He is amazing. Um, but he's got his own program and I got my own program. He doesn't take care of me and I don't take care. We, we, we do this individually. So he came home. I said, honey, can you bring all my Al-Anon books? Laid them out next to me. I got my meeting list because now we're on Zoom, right? So I got right away, I got on a meeting and that was what has gotten me now to tomorrow. It'll be three weeks. Go to a meeting every day, read my Al-Anon literature because that's helping me get to a place where I want to be, where I can dance with my hip, you know, <laughs> a little bit and, um, and enjoy life. Enjoy life because... Um, there is no, and I'll you know say that there's no good or bad. Only my thinking makes it so, right? And there's what I need to do is stay on that path where I know that my higher power, the higher power that I have today, the higher power that working me, that I work through these steps. Um, because I, I know I don't know if you guys remember I said I thought I was God when I walked into these rooms, but the higher power that I have today in my life, and we're not a religious program. We're not a religious program. I want to say that, but I do have a higher power in my life that knows exactly what I need and when I need it, not what I want, what I need. And he knows exactly what everybody else needs. And all I need to do is to mind my own business and stay out of other people's um, lives, you know, but love them, love them. Um, we talk about detachment with love, right? and stay detached and support and do whatever I can in a loving way, um, but not engage in a way where I have to take care of everyone and everything. And, you know, it opens up life. It opens up life in a new way. And I'm sorry your mom didn't stay, Billy, because, yeah. you know, um, I'm sure that would have helped a lot, you know, uh, back in, in the day, right? You know, mm -hmm. when you were probably going through stuff, but you know, the bottom line is that we all get what we need when we need it. And we arrive in these rooms when we arrive, um, you know, there's no trajectory that says you got to do this. You got to do it that way. You got to do it this way. And there's a lot of, you know, 12 step things out there right now that are helping people. 
Um, we are in this area. We have, uh, I think it's 264 meetings. Um, Al-Anon meetings, because of the pandemic, um, you would have to go onto our um, Al-Anon website. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to uh, jump on there, Jason, Billy. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's www.marylanddc-alanon.org. And um, you could get all the meetings in the area, the ones that are face-to-face, back face-to-face, and the ones that are still Zoom. And, you know, try out what, you know, six meetings. I, you know, I, you know, we say now try six meetings, but I'm going to tell you when I got into the rooms back in the day, (laughs) um, it was like, get your butt in here and sit in that chair and stay. It was, you're you're here because you need it. But, you know, it wasn't like uh, try six meetings if it's for you or for not. (laughs) That's just my own personal pet peeve, you know. Um, Get in here and get as much as you can and stay and do. And believe me, I, the life that I have today, like I said, is way beyond anything that I would have imagined. This little girl that was born into that abusive alcoholic home um, having this life that I have today with peace and serenity, but I have to work on it. And uh, again, quoting a friend of mine from the program, she says, I keep coming back because my life depends on it. And that's why I keep coming back because uh, my life, um, my life depends on it. It -hmm. does, you know, one day at a time. You know, I I love some of the inclusivity that you've mentioned about, you know, being able to come there kind of, I don't want to say no matter the problem, but you know, a lot of different struggles seem very welcome in your idea of, of Al-Anon. I'm curious, though, is there any person that you think maybe wouldn't benefit from coming to Al-Anon or, or might not be the, the person that Al-Anon is the right place for? Is that, does anything stick out around that? Yeah, it does. Um, and we've had situations where the, you know, there's been a, a really bad case of mental illness. Um, and they will come into the rooms, as I have mentioned earlier, and they will want to um, manipulate the meeting and talk about, um, you know, all the angst of their their situation through mental illness that they're going through. And that disrupts the meetings. Um, it takes, you know, the the whole onus of the meeting away from what we really need to be there. So, you know, I would not encourage someone if they're going through, you know, some schizophrenia situations or, you know, deep rooted, you know, I can only think of schizophrenia right now, but there are other mental illnesses that are there. Um, What I would do is I would encourage them to go and get, you know, the real help that they need through any, you know, mental um, organizations that could better help them than we can. You know, um, because we might say things that would just trigger them even more, you know. So, right. yeah, so that um, that I would not and encourage. Um, and of course, um, uh, we would always work on someone who is in a domestic violence situation um, to come and, and be with us. But we're not an organization that would, you know, tell somebody what to do in a domestic violence situation. So we would encourage them to also go get the help that they need through whatever domestic violence situations um, are out there. 
that they can um, help. I want to give a big push for, um, is it the 211 number um, that has a list of organizations where you can, you know, reach out to. And we're on there, too, for the area. Um, and people can call there and get the help that they need and direct it toward the right organization that they might need at any particular time. Yeah, I'm actually, that's interesting you said that. I did a little bit of interning at United Way, and I was amazed that 211 existed. And I was like, if I've lived in Baltimore and don't know about this, how do other people not, like, yeah, 211, it's a number. You can call it, it puts you right in touch with a, a social worker, and they can get you hooked up to all kinds of resources in Baltimore, whether you're struggling with uh, a individual that's struggling with alcohol you know whether you're struggling with mental health whether you're struggling with financial resources like they have mm -hmm. access to a ton of material so feel free to use that that's what they're there for uh adalia you have an incredible wealth of knowledge which mm -hmm. has been amazing to hear some of like the nuances and guidance you've had um is there anything as we we get short on time here is there anything really important that you wanted to add into this and and i did want to mention i will put that uh the Maryland Al-Anon website link up on our site as well? Um, um, well, I just want to um, leave you guys with suggestions, you know, from, and they're right here in our newcomers packet. Um, anyone can have access to this newcomers packet. We actually have it online. It's the, um, they could go on alanon.org um, slash newcomer. Hmm. And this, this packet is, is online. Um, so we suggest you attend at least one meeting every week. If you decide to go to Al-Anon, um, talk to Al-Anon members in between meetings. And we do have now, even in the Zoom meetings, after the meetings, we have the meeting after the meeting via Zoom. So you can talk to, to them. Um, try to, if you want to stay in Al-Anon. Um, we encourage people to try to find a sponsor, someone that they could talk to. Um, and they might necessarily be a sponsor, just get phone numbers and people that they um, can um, talk to. And again, you know, I love this program. I mm. absolutely love this program. And um, I, I love what you guys are doing. It's amazing to me that... Um, in today's day and time from 35 years ago when I worked <laughs> to now that we can do this, right? It's just amazing. Um, and the more that we can get this word out to family and friends of alcoholics that um, knowing that, you know, our common welfare should come first, you know, personal progress for the greatest number depends upon unity and that we're all in this together we're all in this together and that no one, no one needs to go through whatever they, they're going through alone. There's always mm -hmm. someone out here that they can reach out to and help them walk through whatever it is they need to walk through because where two or more are gathered, there I know is my higher power and their higher power. So I'm really grateful to you guys mm -hmm. and thank you for, for letting me share. This is oh, very emotional. Thank you so much Thank for you. coming on. Yeah, this was beautiful, Adalia. You've got uh, an incredible way of, with words. And uh, thank you so much for coming on, and, and we'll be in touch with you, okay? Thank you. Namaste. Yeah, well.
Namaste. Bye-bye. Have a great day. You too. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us. <laughs>